Welcome everyone to Encyclopod. I am Sean DeRager, your host. I'm the managing editor of Encyclopocalypse Publications. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard of Encyclopocalypse, or you know, you maybe you've come on for Vincenzo or Brian Berry or you know, whatever, um, we are, you know, we're a publisher. Uh, started a few years back by Mark Allen Miller. Going to be going to be having Mark Allen Miller on the show soon. Hopefully, we're working that out. But we're, you know, we're a publisher that's dedicated to digitizing, reproducing classic genre novels and novelizations. Uh, you know, mostly in horror, uh, but all those like before uh, the digital age, and as well as we've jumped into independent novels and new novelizations. So we're here to talk about independent novels and new novelizations. New novelizations today. Uh, today's guest is. Joshua Milliken, and I'm very excited to have him on. He was one of the first authors that I had approached when I kind of came on board and, uh, you know, to, to publish, and we'll talk about that in just a second, and I'm going to fade this uh, music out, and we're going to bring Josh in right now. Let's see if I can uh, do this correctly here. Josh, what's up? Oh, you're muted. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Here we go. There we go. You're How's it going, muted, man? It's good. You know, every time that I, you know I start this, I'm like, it's gonna be a smooth intro. It's gonna be awesome. And you know, life's uh, life always likes throwing you a curveball, but you know, yeah, we're, relatively we're, we're, we're smooth, relatively smooth, smoother. It was it's the smoothest yet. I'll take that win, um, <laughs> Josh. I mean, so glad we're finally able to do this. I've been wanting to you know chat with you in some format uh, like this, and I'm glad that that you know. I, got the idea to start this up and it really, uh, you know, I've, I've been seeing you on other podcasts and I'm like, I want to sit down and talk to Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Neon lighted, uh, <laughs> office there. <laughs> well, you and I have a, a, a real relationship outside of the business side of publishing. And we have so many great conversations about the genre and about the business just in our, uh, our, our social interactions. So it's great to kind of get some of these conversations out there and you know we're so relaxed talking to each other it'll be funny to see where this goes because truthfully i'm up for anything man (laughs) (laughs) this could end up going anywhere yeah let's let's do this um the you know it's it's funny because i knew you through i think i knew you before you know online through a little horror community back when twitter was cool uh we're we're old now that's that's why no it's it's because it's being taken over by a psychomaniac um but you know, you and we knew each other kind of in passing through our kind of horror friends, and you know, I was trying to start a podcast. You were writing. You got the gig uh, doing editor in chief, being being the editor in chief over at Dread Central, and um, you know, and you approached. You kind of threw it out there. You know, after a, a few years of us kind of knowing each other, knowing of each other, I guess I should say that you know you had this novel that you were kind of shopping around and you, you wrote it, didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, I saw, I saw your post and uh, I was like, huh. And I just started kind of working with Mark more because I, when I started and Mark and I will talk about this when I have Mark on, but I was just doing, you know, audiobooks for Mark. I'd, I'd only done one and I was kind of talking with him and he knew of me through the screencast that I did. And so we had some similar, you know, and um, so you know, I saw you post this and I was like, well, what the hell? Let's, let's, you know, let's see what Josh has. And, um, I mean, I, I had no idea, you know, you had, and, and I, so you, you sent it to me and I read it and, you know, um, it was like, it was such a breath of fresh air. So that book was deeper than hell. And it was such a Thank fresh, uh, breath, fresh breath, 
breath of fresh air. I'll get it right one of these days. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, I had such a good time reading it. And it was so wild and different than anything that I'd read up to that Thank point in, 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 in the indie, you know, horror genre and things like that. And, and I was like, well, you know, uh, the, the, all the tie-ins to, you know, Clive Barker's universe and things like that, the, so many homages and stuff it was just really fun as a horror fan. So, um, so yeah, so we've known each other since then. And, you know, you've yeah. put out a few more books since mm-hmm. then. They're all sitting behind me. You know, but Sean, the first uh, part I, of- I really think that oh, you should give yourself a little more credit. Um, you, you really are like uh, my, my guardian angel of, of publishing. You know, when, when a, a person, an artist uh, puts something out on uh, Twitter or Facebook saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm new at this and I've got this thing and I'm trying to break in. It's almost like screaming into the void. You know, it's like screaming yeah. off of a cliff. And the fact that you heard me and I sent it to you and it actually turned into a fruitful contract. I think that that is every, every budding author's fantasy. And it actually happened with me. So it's like, you are my mm-hmm. guardian angel. And, you know, you really gave me, gave my career a jumpstart. And I can't thank you enough for that. And I think everyone should know exactly how cool you are because of exactly how rare it was for me. And uh, you're just uh, the epitome of everything that's good about independent publishing and independent publishers. Thanks, man. I'll, I will take it. I'm, it's very hard for me to take compliments, but I will uh, definitely take, it. take that. I mean, take it. <laughs> Well, there's, there's, there's mutual respect and I always try to, you know, I always, always try to approach things in mutual respect. Um, you know, uh, so it, it just really was one of those things that was serendipitous. It really did work out. And, Absolutely. You know, and, it, and if, it, and if the book wasn't good, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, have, <laughs> if I didn't like it, I wouldn't have reached out, you know? Right. So, um, so that's just kind of how all these things work, but Absolutely. You, know, you have such history, uh, in, in horror, in journalism and that's kind of how i got to know you i wanted to ask you first starting off you know with people just getting to know you or, or you know see, have seen your name and haven't been on, on any of your books yet um you know what what was it about horror that really initially got its hooks into you because you're not just like a casual horror fan you know you're not just you know you're not even like a sound like you know an enthusiastic horror fan like you live and breathe or yes you know obsessed and and, you know we we all kind of had those friends i think in high school i did and they were the ones who brought me in um and probably later on in high school i kind of had some people but you know and you're you're like that is you like you're the guy who's like oh you haven't seen this you know let's watch it or i'll recommend it yeah what was it what was the initial spark that you were like oh this is my jam uh, you know, there there were two kind of uh, phases of my life where horror really like made that impression. Uh, I I am uh, kind of of the same generation as you are, Sean, more or less. And um, the Fly, Cronenberg's The Fly and Aliens came out the same summer, and uh, I don't know how young Josh got into the movie theater for both of them, both of those R-rated movies, but he was there. I guess it was easier to do back then. And uh, wow, those movies, I just loved them. And it started a, more or less a, a lifelong love of horror. Then, you know, you got to fast forward to the early aughts. And uh, when Netflix arrived and when it first started, you know, first of all, it was a DVD service. 
And I was big on them when it was just DVDs and I was seeing all these movies I hadn't heard of, you know, since the, the blockbusters all closed. And then they started uh, having their streaming online service. And back when Netflix first started doing that, they were the only ones doing that. And their, their vault was huge. They had so many horror movies in one place it was really kind of a golden age and it's not as good anymore on any single streaming service. You know, a lot of the films that I saw on Netflix in the early aughts are now all scattered to the wind. And, um, you know, some of them aren't even available in any form, even streaming in America anymore. That's kind of when, you know, horror just really bit me. And I just got really excited about horror horror of the 21st century. I like staying really up to date on horror. I like how horror is a reflection of society's fears and anxieties. And uh, I loved watching it, experiencing it. And I loved writing about it, started blogging, wanted to work on bigger sites, got lucky, ended up at Dread Center. Nice, nice. I mean, you know, you, you have a specific kind of you know, what you what you write about, uh, what what, you, what interests you. Um, you know, you mentioned Cronenberg, uh, Clive Barker, things like that. Um, what what is it about those specifically that kind of speak to you? Because I'm 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 a little bit different. While I like Clive Barker, uh, love Hellraiser, um, uh, Lord of Illusions, um, you know, absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then Cronenberg, like The Fly. You know, anything like like that that Cronenberg has touched, um, you know, I like it. But th- those aren't high on the rewatch list. I sure. like more kind of fun, campy monster, you know, stuff. Um, what is it about those specifically? I mean, because Deeper Than Hell is very much, very much a love letter to Clive Barker and his work. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and, and, and it moves into, into Septum, uh, the, the follow up. Absolutely. Um, what, what is it about that horror that really kind of you know, speaks to you? Well, I think Clive Barker and David Cronenberg are both masters of body horror, uh, but they kind of uh, sit at different ends of the spectrum. You've got Clive Barker uh, sitting way off in fantasy land on one end of the body horror spectrum, and you've got David Cronenberg on the medical scientific end of body horror, and the, the entire spectrum is creepy. Um and you're right that, you know, the, the films that these men release aren't necessarily fun. They're an experience, um, but they aren't necessarily fun. At the end of them, you feel uh, like you've been through something big, though. Uh, they, they're very effective, affective, as opposed to effective. They are affective. And uh, that definitely goes into deeper than hell. You know, I can, I can say there are a lot of horror books out there that are more fun to read than deeper than hell. Deeper than hell is a bit of an endurance contest. Um, because the, as the title suggests, I'm trying to convey something that's beyond that's so bad. It's beyond comprehension. And, you know, on on the way to exploring this metaphysical idea of what's worse than the worst, you kind of have to go through a, a laundry list of, you know, the main human anxieties of the 21st century. Um, yeah, 
I guess, you know, when I read, when I watch a film, uh, you know, I loved new French extremity, um, that, that kind of split that, that moment in time that lasted about five years from, you know, in the aughts, you know, started around 2023 and by 2028, I think it was all over in terms of its, uh, uh, relevance in terms of its fire. And those films were, uh, unapologetically nihilistic. And I, I started mm-hmm. realizing, you know, a lot of times when you have a happy ending in an American horror movie, it rings hollow. But when you go the other <laughs> direction and you say, hey, man, there's no happy ending here. This is about what would, what it would really be like if you endured this. Um, the emotional intensity just rings so much higher, you know, and uh, maybe a psychologist would say there's something wrong with me that I need these more <laughs> intense things to get an emotional response. But, you know, I think it's not just about gory horror. It can be about sad horror. You know, I think sad mm-hmm. horror gets a bad rap. You know, people people are like, oh, I loved The Mist up until that ending. You know, it's like you feel bad <laughs> if you like a movie that's really sad. But I think sad horror is phenomenal and it really sticks with you. You know, you can leave a yeah. horror movie feeling it in the pit of your stomach. And sometimes you leave feeling it deep in your heart. So long. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's movies. No, I mean, there's movies like, uh, so like hereditary, right? Like that, um, that's such a powerful film yes. in, in many, many ways. Um, and it's such a gut punch and, you know, that was the same sort of thing, you know, where, where people like certain aspects of it, but the, the gut punch part, you know, um, doesn't stick with a lot of people. And, and, and I like, and I like those, but I, I, I own hereditary. I want to watch it again, but there's times where I'm like, maybe I'll watch it again tonight. And then I'm like, uh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> maybe the same way, man. You have to be prepared to go into it. And you know what? Even, even friends of mine who like good horror movies, I will be careful about recommending a film like hereditary because I know that, uh, it is, Talk about an affective movie. I actually saw it for the first time at South by Southwest. Uh, the only other time it had even screened before that was at Sundance. All we knew that was it was some great horror, horror movie. People were saying it was really scary, but I had no idea what kind of horror, what it was. When that scene happened, theater was crowded, you know, and, and you know, intensely watching this. You've got a... a audience of all movie cinephiles who are deeply connecting right. to what's on the screen. And when that scene happened, there was a woman next to me, I don't know her name, but she went like this. <laughs> like I seriously like watched her like endure a mental trauma. She brought her knees up to yeah. her chest. That is like, yeah, a, a crazy fear response, you know? And it, it was just nuts and it took, took the wind out of me. Yeah. So, you know, I, I won't recommend it to someone unless they, you know, unless they've probably already seen it, you know, <laughs> that's a crazy I mean, that, That's the, that's, and that's, that's one of the best things that I like about horror is just how wide a breadth that it has there's there is something for everyone i mean i can find my wife does not like horror at all and you know there are there there are times where i can find something that i know she will like like you know um or or at least 
you know, will tolerate, you know, something like the menu where not, well, that's not all horror. Um, but it's, it's saying something we put her and I both love like, like food cooking shows about like, um, you know, fine dining and stuff like that. So I knew there was characters that she could relate to. She ended up, she didn't like, uh, did not like it. Uh, but at least she gave it a try. So it's, it's always this thing to try to figure something out for her. But, uh, but I do love like how, you can find something. There's gateway horror, you know, Five Nights at Freddy's is. is a great gateway horror film. Um, to, you know, stuff that I knew that my, when my kids were younger that I can show them monster squad. Um, even some other movies from the eighties that aren't necessarily horror have these elements like Goonies has certain oh, elements yeah. in it, you know, um, that I can show, show them, but then you have cool. stuff on the more serious side, like, you know, Clive Barker's work, like, you know, like, uh, uh, hereditary, like we talked about. I mean, even like Midsummer, you know, the same director um, as Hereditary, that is very, you know, uh, just fantastic, but not for everybody e- either. Um, yeah. So I, that's that's why horror is so so great, you know, as opposed well, to other horror, any other genre. Horror is so big that saying you don't like horror is like saying you don't like food. You can find, you know, <laughs> you can find food that you like, even if you don't like pizza, right. you know, you, right. you can find the horror that you like. Hocus Pocus can be considered a horror movie. You know, um, there are horror movies that are just completely psychological where no blood is spilled. You know, there's, there's suspense. Um, there's cosmic, there's, you know, Godzilla is a horror movie. So saying, yeah. saying you don't like horror just means that you're being closed minded about what horror is. And you say more than any other genre, but horror is able to encapsulate all the other genres. You can have action, horror, horror, comedy. You can have horror, thriller, horror, mystery, horror, sci-fi. It's so fluid that it goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's as versatile Versatile as horror, in my opinion, is cannabis, because there's a cannabis for everyone, <laughs> just like there's a horror movie for everyone. Am there I right? Is, and you can't say that. You can't say that about you know alcohol. I feel like here we go. Now it's just becoming the the cannabis cast, but mm-hmm. um, you know alcohol has specific things. You know uh, that people like people like wine or beer or liquor. You know, um, like. As you know, as people in in the great state of California, and we're among the, I mean, more states, more and more states are jumping on board. But you know, um, and we weren't even the first, which is a which is was very uh, always surprising. Well, it's interesting. But, the um, reason we yeah. weren't the first is because the people who a lot of the people who voted against legalization in California the first two times were in the industry, and they were afraid that oh, uh, corporatization yeah. was going to take it away from the independent right. farmer, which it largely has. Uh, you know, the small yeah. boutique grower, uh, you know, living a decent life, making a, a 70 to 100 grand a year growing out of his backyard or closet. That doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. 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 But I mean, but that, that, that is that's I mean, yeah, that's totally unfortunate and something that I'm, I'm hoping. Well, I don't like fed, like making it legally federally. I'm hoping could open up more of those doors because there's so many loopholes with having a cannabis business that it just, you know, the banking, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you're right. It did become corporate and the, you know, 
because uh, I've used it mainly for medical, you know, medical reasons. Um, and, you know, so I, when I talk to people about it, there is hard, you can't find the information you need, you need to find anymore. Um, it's hard to find medical information at, if you had a dispensary, you, you know, so there's certain people that will know, but when it was strictly medical, you can go and, you know, really kind of hone in on some things. And it's so, and cannabis is so versatile, like horror, that um, you can literally find, you know, the few things that will work for you Absolutely. and know which ones you should avoid. Well, the um, most genius so. thing I've seen recently, there's a, a dispensary here in Los Angeles in Hollywood, and they um, did a line of uh, vape oils. <clears throat> and what they did is they named the strains after the effect they produce. So there was sleep, there was meditate, there was focus, there was energy. So it, it was a, a brilliant idea. There was one for being creative. And it's like, what a brilliant yeah. way to categorize something as big as cannabis. You know what? If we're not careful, we're just going to end up talking about cannabis for the entire I know. Time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because, uh, you know, Mr. ADHD here, like <laughs> I hyper, I hyper focused on cannabis when it became legalized. Uh, and you know, I have all this information rattling around in my head. That's just, that's just there. But, uh, but I, I did, uh, bringing it back, bringing the conversation back. Um, I did want to know, you know, what, you know, what was it that kind of sparked the interest to, to sit and write a novel? Cause you're, you're this horror journalist, you're covering, you know, new releases. Um, you're, you're going you know, set visits, things like that. Your main writing, um, is, in the journalistic sense, what was it about, you know, that kind of, you know, sparked, you know, sparked the interest to even sit down and write a novel? Cause it's, it's such a different type of writing. Right. Well, uh, you know, you're right that most people who know me and the way I got like my small amount of, you know, internet fame or, you know, the, the reason I'm known in the community is through my work at Dread Central. So it seems like a shift that, you know, I would go from being a journalist for over a decade into writing fiction. But a lot of people don't know that I actually have a degree in creative writing. Uh, creative writing was actually my first uh, real experience in writing beyond essay writing in uh, high school and college. So um, I love writing. I've always written in some capacity whether it's short stories or, you know, I would begin novels and not finish them, or I would write poems or song lyrics. Uh, but yeah, I was very focused on journalism and I got the same satisfaction of that from that, that I always got in writing creatively. Now, how did this, my first novel come into being is interesting too, because, you know, I might not have done it at all, except for there was this online magazine. I think it was Dirge, dirge.com. And they were doing this contest where they wanted to uh, get authors to write serials for them, uh, where they would write one chapter a month for a year. And then at the end of the year, they would uh, potentially release it as a novel. And I thought that was a great idea. So who, who's barking over there? Oh, these dogs! I swear, I was like, "You guys can only be in here if you're good," and uh, and they're and they're not. <laughs> Long story short, I could get to I, the I, mic the mutant time. <laughs> Long story short, uh, I was inspired to uh, write a first chapter to enter this contest, 
at dirge.com. I wasn't selected to write a serial for them, but I had my first chapter. I had an outline of the whole thing. I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to write it anyway. Uh, but then, you know, not long after that is when I got uh, promoted to first managing editor and then editor in chief at Dread Central. And so for a long, long time, all of my own personal creative endeavors were just put to the side in the name of promoting the legacy that right, was right. Dread Central, uh, 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 something that I took very seriously during my time there. Right. Right. And you, I mean, you were, you were tirelessly there. I, mean, I couldn't even imagine. I, I've known, uh, I've known, you know, other, you know, editor in chiefs and other people who work, you know, I, uh, in, in like other sites, like other, like not horror, but I, you know, one of my, uh, my wife's cousin's wife. So cousin-in-law, I guess, um, is what was, a. Uh, for a paper in for the LA, like LA times or something like that was the entertainment, you know, editor. Mm -hmm. And whenever there was something going on, it didn't, it didn't matter what holiday it was. It didn't matter what's going on. You know, she always had her laptop. I'm sure she still does. She's in San San Francisco now always has her laptop. It's Thanksgiving. And, you know, but some, someone else is going on that, that she's covering or kind of gathering everything together. It's a, it's a tireless job. Yeah, and, you, you nailed uh, it. You nailed it right there. You know, there are no weekends. There are no holidays. You know, there there might be a fire to put out, you know, a, a fact that yeah. needs to be checked or changed. You know, there may be uh, something on the marketing side that needs to be addressed immediately. Yeah, there would be times, you know, I'd have to end a dinner to jump into this, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, around the time I wrapped up my career at Central, you know, was when my son was born. And, you know, from that point on, that kind of career for me was just impractical. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have one and he's little and adorable. Uh, I have three and yeah, I mean, especially the first, your life does change and no matter what yeah. you're, you're doing, you know, you kind of start to like reassess everything. And I know, you know, my wife and I have had to reassess, you know, careers and things like that with each kid that was born. And, right. um, you know, and then, well, then we had, you know, COVID's going on as well, right? Was that, was COVID still going on uh, when, yeah. when your dad was COVID born? happened about uh, six months after I had uh, taken the position of editor in chief. So, you know, most okay. of my tenure at Dread Central was during COVID was, you know, trying to steer the okay, ship right. through these unprecedented times in these new uncharted territories. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. So yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting all the, getting the timelines worked out in my head here. Um, so, but yeah, I mean that, I mean, that's, it's admirable that you, you know, and, and it's not like you're just like, well, I'm just going to take this other corporate job over here. It's like, you know, like you're, you know, I'm going to go into, some unknowns career wise, and I'm going to take a chance and, you know, I'm going to become an author. And, um, you know, and then that's, you know, when our, our paths kind of crossed again in a, just a whole mm. different level. So, you know, so let's talk about deeper than hell and then we'll move into septum, um, in a bit. So I, I want to spend some time on deeper than hell in a non-spoiler, sure. non-spoilery way. You know, we can spoil as much as we I narrate want. Books, you it's been out for a year. Let's spoil as much as people want. You know, I think that it just makes them more likely hey, to read it at this point. You, 
you you are the author, and uh, you know, and, but but that said though, um, I don't feel I have my own opinions about spoilers. I don't, I don't, I'm sensitive to other people, you know, and uh, but I don't think I don't think finding out the ending or even a twist of a of a film or a story can necessarily ruin your enjoyment. It may ruin an initial shock over something. Yes. Okay. I'll give it that. But, um, but I've, you know, I've been spoiled on films, watched them and loved the hell out of them. And it yeah. didn't, and it didn't take it away. So, right. but I mean, but well, set up I'm not deeper talking than about hell. telling people like, and then it was all a dream, you know, nothing like that. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I, okay, I know gotcha. how to share gotcha. with while holding back just enough to Perfect. keep it interesting. There you go. There yeah. Go. So tell me about about deeper than hell. Um, you know, set it up for us, and uh, then we'll kind of get into some more, you know, specifics about about the story and the inspirations to it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think I've always been kind of uh, obsessed is too strong a word, but uh, almost haunted <laughs> by the idea of life underground. Uh, just that that phrase, life underground is so evocative to me. Um, outer space to me seems cold and empty. And it's all about these trips that take, you know, thousands of light years, you know, and people living in confined spaces. Don't get me wrong. Good sci-fi is great. You know, I, I love aliens, but, uh, you know, I, I think of underground the same way as, as other authors might think of outer space. You know, and it, and what's what's so exciting about it to me is that it's right here. You know, it's like anything could come burrowing up at any time and change our entire perception of reality. So anyway, setting it up deeper than yeah. hell. Uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say I, I had a I had, I had, my mic was muted for a second. Of course, I forgot to unmute it. But um, um, the, the the thing about space and where I'm where, where I see where you're going with this you know space by itself is a vacuum it's cold there's nothing living yeah. in space you, yeah. in, in order to find an alien or alien alien life you have to land on a planet uh you know discover another spaceship that's out there floating with life in it mm -hmm. things like that so it's like space is kind of the it's just the empty space to travel through to get to the monster or whatever right i mean all of us have dug in the backyard as kids yes. all of us have dug for worms lifted up rocks uh, seen all the bugs and you know some of us have been to caves and things caves. like that it, it it is it is absolutely a different story and i mean there's a reason why the movie the descent is fucking yeah you know, still one of the scariest movies uh, well, in modern movies made caves are scary as hell but uh with deeper than hell i was more inspired by like infrastructure and urban exploring and uh the tunnels that exist beneath big cities like um, New York and Los Angeles and Las Vegas. And I should be clear because, uh, you know, Deeper Than Hell is a, a story about a guy who lives in the tunnels below Las Vegas. And, and for some reason, even though it's very clear in the book itself, people seem to sometimes think that I'm talking about sewers. My characters don't live in sewers. They live in these like abandoned... <laughs> tunnels uh th this this area these these liminal spaces almost like the back rooms 
you know, and uh, the same sort of feeling like that. And I've just always been really inspired by, you know, urban explorers and the idea of deep underground military bases, cities underground, things like that. So, um, yeah. It's just the standard, like, late night cannabis infused, like, trip through YouTube conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. I love, if you've read Deeper Than Hell, you know, I love me a good conspiracy theory. You know, I don't believe them. Like one of the characters in Deeper Than Hell, Drew, is uh, he's very open minded when it comes to conspiracy theories. I'm a little more on the analytical side, but I love a good conspiracy theory. It's always like, okay, do your best to convince me. And every once in a while, right, I'm still scratching my head. I'm still scratching my head. <laughs> Let's talk about the characters, the two main characters, um, uh, Sonny. Right and Drew, yeah, um, and th- and they're they're kind of they're the ones bringing us through. They're the they're the C three PO and R two D two of the story, kind of bringing us through. Oh, or the uh, Tom I mean, I Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, yeah, the Tom Sawyer. I mean, yeah, I, I speak in George Lucas. It's awesome. Have, like, literary. There are a lot of these <laughs> duos making their quests together. Yeah, he, he's part of a long right. literary trope that spans genres. What I love about them is. Their relationship is absolutely, you can buy it. Drew is, is such an entertaining character um, that, you know, we talk about, like, we talked earlier about, you know, horror, you know, Barker and Cronenberg, you know, really being these dark, you know, very serious, um, you know, uh, stories. But I think Drew especially, his sense of humor, uh, just his, the, the rants he goes on, He's so entertaining that you just can't stop, you know, reading. You, you just can't. You, you, what's Drew going to say next? Like, what's going <laughs> to happen next? He really does help bring the reader through. And that, I thought that was a really great, you know, method of kind of bringing us through because it is. This is a journey. This is, you know, this is fear and loathing in Las Vegas. This is any road trip movie, you know, that you that you've seen and love. Uh, but it's bringing you through this, these, this crazy underground world that you've created. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. absolutely fantastic. So this, you know, there's, it's, it's not like, well, this, you know, the plot unfolds as they are uncovering the plot or why they're there or where they're going to go. And I love those types of stories. Um, what other kind of, what other stories, you know, uh, helped in, inspire th- that method, you know, uh, rather than say, here, here's the plot. Here's the characters. Sure. This is what they got to overcome. Here's the big bad. Th- this is different. Well, you know, uh, one of the things, another commonality between uh, David Cronenberg and Clive Barker is uh, their stories feature imperfect characters. You know, we're so yeah. accustomed to uh, the standard hero's journey with the, the main protagonist being someone that the average moviegoer can relate to. Um, and, uh, it, it all just kind of elevates it into this, uh, other realm, uh, which when you think about it is pretty unrealistic. Uh, the characters you find in the works of Barker and Cronenberg are flawed, deeply flawed. Look at, um, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, Seth Brundle on the fly, for example, he is uh, smart and ambitious, but he's also, uh, completely driven by his work. And, you know, I think that makes him and his relationships more interesting because of it. So Sonny and Drew are deeply flawed 
individuals and they kind of wear that on their sleeves. That's part of uh, who they are. Obviously they are their, their individual traumas Uh, that plays into also, you know, their interpretations of what's going on because it's a a first person narrator. So this guy, Sonny is the filter through which uh, reality is presented. And that's the the crux of it all. You know, you got to decide, okay, who is this guy really? What condition yeah. is he in? And, you know, wh- what can I take away from this? And and Sonny's just not this, like, you know, he's not this casual drug user. I mean, Sonny is addicted to heroin. Your first, I'm going to grab the book because I don't have a note in front of me, but, you know, there's a cover for you people watching, uh, <laughs> for you people watching on YouTube here or Twitter or wherever the hell you're watching it. But here's, so when I picked the book up and I opened up the word file, the first thing, the first thing that I read, uh, you know, this line hooked me in and, and I think it's great. And I, and, and this doesn't, I don't read a book like this often where the first line hooks me, but here's the first line, everybody. The thing most people don't understand about heroin is this. It's not about the quality of pleasure. It's about the absence of pain. So like that right there i was like okay we're in for in for a treat here because you know (laughs) i you don't hear a character just being like yeah i use heroin yeah why not i was just hanging out (laughs) the other night and uh right shot up some heroin and you know had some burgers it was great you know totally totally just trying to sum it all up in one quick simple sentence (laughs) (laughs) but for him it, it 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 is this sort of affliction it is something it it is the thing that you know makes everything go away but it's also mm-hmm. this this burden that he has through it and i thought like i said like the way you kind of weave stuff in into deeper than hell like this it just it elevates it above you know just just kind of a standard like horror fair like there's just mm-hmm. so much more going on with it and you know i remember when we had our signing event at uh at dark delicacies and a buddy of yours brought the book and it was like marked up. I mean, that thing had been read. He had stuff highlighted circled. Um, you know, and, and I thought that was, I had never, you know, I'd never seen any, anything like that outside of like, you know, Go, uh, seeing it, the 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 one crazy religious guy, the like the super religious guy at church, right? <laughs> you right. know what I mean? This like I thought that was super interesting. Um, I mean, can you elaborate on that? Like, because I, I thought that was great. Um, yeah, that was my buddy Milo. You know, he, this. yeah, my buddy Milo Martin is also a wonderful writer in the Los Angeles poetry community, and we've known each other many years. So he's a wonderful um, uh, uh, recipient of my literature. You know, he's a he's a fan of Joshua Milliken, and you know, he he just loves talking about my work as I love talking about him and sharing uh, his work, you know, our, our mutual friend Preston Fassell said that we should release uh, an annotated version of deeper than hell because it's got <laughs> so many Easter eggs and homages and things like that. There are lines of dialogue that are pulled straight from horror movies and, you know, the, the conspiracy theories that we talked about, I was just on the Clive Barker podcast and they're like, how many of those conspiracy theories are, are real and how many did you make up? So like 90% of them are, are real, you know, I'm, I'm riffing on actual right. 
theories, hollow earth theories and, you know, military infrastructure theories and, uh, you know, feral human theories that are, have already been cultivated in film and literature. So, um, what are we talking about? <laughs> That's a fantastic segue there. We're talking about, uh, your, your buddy Milo and how he annotated that book. Yeah. I that was great that, that, yeah. he did, that he did that. Um, <laughs> something else you were mentioning but, um, though about a uh, uh, sunny and heroin, you know, I just want to make people make sure people know I, I was really careful about my portrayal of people who have addiction and people who live right outside of societal norms. Cause so much right. of uh, these characters can be two dimensional stereotypes, dressing up a horror story. Um, if you're going to be one of them, I think you, you owe it to really put yourself in their shoes. And I just tried to do that every step of the way, uh, to, to mm -hmm. show that it, these people aren't perfect, but these people are people and they're people that yeah. you should care about. And so that's a great transition into talking about septum because, you know, so for deeper than hell, you embodied Sonny as you wrote its first person. And then, you know, you were, I went and I were talking about, you know, you had the idea to do a follow-up, but not a direct sequel. Um, but it was from the perspective of a woman named Sybil. And so here you were like, I'm going to embody, you know, a woman in this, in this story. And, um, you know, that, and for me, like I, you know, we, you and I joke about, man, we don't want to end up on the uh, men writing women Reddit yeah. thread, you know, I mean, uh, the fear is real. Yes, that is brutal. Yeah. Um, and so you and I had to talk about that and, and yeah. we even had, you were very specific for the beta readers. You wanted all women to read it just to, yeah, make, just you know, to see, you know, cause that, and I, I thought that was great. Because and, and that, that just, made me you know, appreciate you and Mark and Encyclopocalypse as a publisher so much because, you know, that was really a, a whole extra step that I wanted to make sure, yeah. you know, it, it, it wasn't about like uh, having a sensitivity reader or it wasn't about like, you know, identifying potential triggers. It was just making sure that, you know, I, I hadn't grossly and horribly, <laughs> uh, you know, somehow misrepresented the, the female experience. And it was hard and just, but just like, yeah. I really had to put myself in uh, Drew's shoes and in Sonny's shoes to, to get into their heads. I really did put myself in um, Sybil's shoes. You know, who, who is this person mm -hmm. and how would she end up, you know, in this same dark underworld that Sonny and Drew passed through? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting story, though, because, um, you know, yeah, I had, I had thought from almost the beginning about doing a follow up to Deeper Than Hell. And I was going to do a follow up on Thaddeus, the drug dealer who becomes the junk man, who's this like steampunk robot creature dude who trolls around the underworld. But uh, people were so catalyzed by Sybil and she's such a tiny character in yeah. Deeper than hell. But she's in chapter three, which is the the horror uh, climax of it all. Like it, all the <laughs> the worst gore and pain and and you know offensiveness all kind of goes down in chapter three. It's a huge abrupt 
shocking shift. It's kind of like if you get through that, you've made it through, you know, uh, uh, physical wise. Hopefully your brain's still going to get <laughs> squished around a lot. But um, anyway, it, it, some people were offended about this character named Sybil that I described as, you know, having her mouth and, and eyes sewn shut and, you know, having her nose be the only open orifice on her face, you know, and, and the idea that she had gone through these um, uh deformative permanent surgeries in order to enhance her mono nostril, you know, basically uh, by <laughs> removing her septum, the titular septum of septum. So, yeah, so I had to be like, nice. okay. And then I took it as kind of like a challenge. Well, okay. Did I really just write yeah. this person to be a creature to be, you know, a, a someone who comes out of the shadows once for a jump scare or was this a real person? So I was like, you know what? This is a real person. This is a real person. You know, her her journey was very different than Sunny's. You know, whereas Sunny mm-hmm. falls down holes and gets dragged kicking and streaming, you know, and then runs away from monsters into deeper and deeper catacombs, Sybil seeks out this place as a refuge, as a place where she's going to find her tribe. She has an invitation and she takes a fucking elevator. All right. So she, you know, her journey is very, very different than Sunny's. But I was so glad that we got female beta readers. And I was so glad that. And uh, shout out to them. They're great. Yes. To give me their, to give me their blessing and to say that I hadn't hadn't done anything atrocious. It was, it was really great. And, and And I haven't been part of a beta reader, you know, experience like that because, you know, like, like I said, there was, there was, we, of course, we wanted to make sure the story flows and everything. Uh, but with the specific goal in mind, you know, and we, you know, we threw it out there. We're like, be honest, like, let us know. And they were so great with their notes that they sent back. I, I was surprised at, at the amount of notes we got back because, and the, and the amount of things they're saying, I really love this character. Yeah. Um, you know, like we have, there's so many people that, you know, that, that it, the, the, all the beta readers, it, she became like one of their favorite characters well, and you can, like you connected. This, yeah. This it's hideous, great. This hideous, uh, almost throwaway character from the first one and make you love her. And I, I hope, you know, and, and yeah, a lot of people say that is the experience. A lot of people say that, you know, she's so awful, but you root for her by the end. Cause yeah, <laughs> she is awful, especially in the beginning. And she knows right. it. She pretty much apologizes at the end. She's like, yeah, sorry for coming off as such a bitch in the beginning. You know, I don't think she actually calls herself a bitch. But, you know, she acknowledges that she came off as very abrasive and confrontational at the beginning of her saga. And she feels like she's turned a corner by the end. Yeah. What's really fun about Septum, too, is that you did decide, you know, and I'm not going to make this any sort of direct sequel. This is, you know, uh, Paraquil? Paraquil? Yeah. And we we didn't even know that that word existed until again our mutual friend uh preston Fackel <laughs> told us that, it, yeah. that this existed yeah a paraquel it's not a um a sequel or a, a prequel it's a story that takes place simultaneously to another story so the the time mm-hmm. frames overlap um but they yeah. only intersect extremely briefly um so briefly that deeper than hell and septum are absolutely standalones at the same time. Yeah. Those who read both will have a much bigger understanding 
of the world building I've done and, you know, the, the other yeah. potential uh, avenues for exploration should the series continue. Wink, wink. <laughs> wink, wink. What, was, what was your main motivation for, you know, kind of going, going that direction? Um, you know, well, like I said, uh, people, some people were shocked. And I even had this one friend who said, you know, uh, that kind of crossed the line for me. And, you know, it also really, uh, for me, that's what separated your book from being a good book uh, to being something that <laughs> isn't good. You know, that, that one character who, who pops up for that one paragraph uh, that just you know, tipped the scales in the negative direction for me. I'm sorry. That's what she said. So then it was kind <laughs> of a challenge, you know, okay, well, let me go back and, um, you know, justify that. And once I yeah. started, it was great. And, you know, it, it was so intimidating to write from the female perspective, but, you know, everything I, I had written until now, basically until my novelization actually uh, has been first person, you know, as a journalist and even as a creative writer before mm -hmm. I was a journalist, I, I've been really attracted to first person storytelling. Cause that's the, the authority. I was really intimidated about the idea of writing third person and being this omniscient narrator and deciding how much to reveal and things like that it was really scary for me. So, you know, yeah. I, I wanted to, it to be first person, but then I really had to embody this character of Sybil, but it, it was, it was crazy. I hope that's uh, what we were talking about. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is like our conversations kind of, we'll go in and out of stuff. Oh, and, and man. Like, like I, I said, like this ramble. is a, it's all conversational, man. That's what it's all about. Like this is yeah. like literally when you and I are just chatting, this is how it goes. Hell yeah. Um, except I'm not like interviewing you about right. it. Right. We'll just right. go on and on and on. <laughs> so great. So you have the deeper than hell books, um, you know, deeper than hell and then septum something that people can kind of dive in and really get be taken for a ride. Um, you know, quite literally with, with both books. I love the journey aspect of it. I love, um, I love the, the character and that's the, that's the thing. I think you really do grow to like these characters, but I mean, they, you know, they're, they're all massively flawed. I mean, we're all flawed, but, but this is like, these are like extra, this is like next level, but you still yeah, connect with the them in certain people. ways. They're the kind of people who in other stories would be the ones that you would uh, instantly feel have a negative response for. They're the kind of characters yeah. who, if they showed up uh, in your, in your average person's life or story, they would definitely be seen as, as someone kind of out there or weird or not normal. Yeah. Like, like, like you and me, we're, we're not normal. More or less, more or less. <laughs> I want to talk really quick about, um, about dreadful years, uh, real, really quick. But then we got it. We got to I'm looking at. I'm looking at time, man. We make time fly. What is going on? And then we'll talk about Forbidden Zone. Sure. So dreadful years, you know, encapsulates your time at at Dread Central. And and a huge thank you to the fine folks over at Dread Central for you know because we had you know make sure we had permission you know to use stuff that you'd written for the site you know in, in a book, and they were you know very gracious with that. So. Um, you know, we stuck a little logo on there. So now it looks, it's all, it's all official. Um, but I, I really like this idea and, you know, while a lot of publishers would be like, you know, I don't know you know, if there's an audience for that. I mean, we, we as a publisher are like, well, you know, I kind of like that idea. Like, I mean, I, I think that writers, especially ones who covered, 
things such as you did should be able to put their work somewhere where it won't get deleted. I've seen so many people, you know, a website goes down and all of their writing, you know, maybe they didn't have it backed up or they, you know, their hard drive would crash or something. And and all these things written are gone. Yeah, save yeah. yourself. So, Just because it's on Dread Central or Bloody Disgusting or AV Club, you know, save your stuff because eventually <laughs> you know, they're all going to go the way of the dinosaur and people are going to stop paying for to host dead sites, you know, and uh, it's impermanent. So, yeah. yeah, you know, when I worked at Dread Central, it was during a time where we had a really small staff, you know, going through some. Uh, uh, transitions and then the pandemic on top of that and the uncertainty of it all. Right. So, you know, I ended up doing a lot of the interviews myself or if I had a, a bigger staff or we had more money to um, uh, source out the interviews and things like that. But I had so many great interviews and I just uh, wanted to get them all together in one collection. I'm really grateful to Encyclopocalypse for allowing that. Um, you know, it, it's, it's something I can be proud of. Uh, it's something I don't have to worry about ever disappearing, uh, no matter what happens mm-hmm. to dread central or the internet <laughs> or the electrical grid, you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> it's great to have it out. You know, dreadful years is a wonderful, um, takeaway of my time at dread central. And I do throughout, uh, try to give a little context in terms of what was going on at the site what was going on with me personally. And I think the way it kind of, what, what it does really well is it encapsulates the, the year and a half right before the pandemic and the year and a half right after the pandemic. It was just a really weird time in horror. It was a transitional time between decades. Uh, and uh, I got it in, in the form of interviews with, some of the most respected and most talented people in the horror making film space. So it's great to have it as a testament to the work I put in there, the, the wonderful people who gave me their time for an interview that now it exists, you know, somewhere off, off the internet. And uh, yeah, it was great. You're muted. <laughs> On a second, there we go. Uh, I, I I love how you you do you know introduce people to to you. You give context to your time at Dread Central, and then like you, like you said throughout the book, the little you know little glimpses into the day of the interview, what was going on, is 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 really fun. So, um, so it's it you know if you're if you you know, if you're someone who loves you know, interviews and, and stuff like that, um, reviews, interviews, things like that, I think this is uh, this is something that you get a lot out. I and mean, there's so much. It's so I had to index the damn thing. You, I mean, well, hell, but you indexed it, and then I had yeah. to figure out how to how the hell to how the hell am I to do an index? It, it, so that was yeah. one of my many learning uh, things. I'd never done an index before, and I was like, oh shit, we got to do an index. Well, that's what part of what makes a dreadful year so great too, is that you can, it does have an index. You can check out the index, see who's in there and go and read something about that person. Cause even if I didn't do an interview with that person, you're getting another actor or filmmakers take yeah. on that person. So you know, it's you an extensive oh, Zelda, Zelda Ruber, Rubenstein is mentioned in here. What's up with that? Let's look it up on the page. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, uh, behind the mask. 
Rise of Leslie Vernon. Oh, cool. I remember that movie. So, you know, it's, it's a fun thing to just sit down with and yeah. pop around. Yeah. Super fun. Speaking of super fun, man, we're going to, we're going to go over an hour. Hope everyone's comfy. Grab a drink, everybody, because we need to spend some time to, and, and one of the first things you spoke to me about when we brought you on board uh, as an author and, and, you know, I had known that you had spent some time with, with Richard Elfman and you had told me like, all I want, all I want is to write a novelization of Forbidden Zone. Uh, Richard Elfman's insane cult classic. Uh, I mean, it's, it has, it's, it's funny. The, the, I feel like the last handful of years has really kind of ramped up in the cult yeah, status yeah. even more. Totally. And, it's you know, just too and I'm bad like, that why would it's, you? It's too bad that he couldn't get the rights to sign off on them. Psych! <laughs> Beautiful. You have one right side Beautiful. up this time. Yes. Yeah, I made a little video <laughs> and I ended up holding the book upside down, but I had already done like 12 takes and I was getting sweaty. <laughs> so I was like, fuck it. Otherwise, it's the best yeah, that's one. That's it. That's it. But yeah, um, uh, Richard Elfman, well, well, why I'm friends with. Why and... write a... <laughs> Go on. We have a little bit of a delay, but no, why? My question, mean, yeah, and you explain this. Why would you, why write a novelization of a movie that to me when I when you mentioned it I was like I don't know if that's novel novelizationable. That was kind of part of the reason. How do you novelize a thing like that? That was the challenge, you know. Uh, how do you novelize <laughs> uh, something that's first of all a musical, uh, surrealist, um, you know, something where the performances were uh, largely improvised. Uh, where the sets were handmade, where so much of it uh, comes from the aesthetic. Uh, I knew I wanted to do it, but at the same time, it was, it was a bit of uh, an intimidating endeavor. But finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. It was kind of like you had to get into the mind, mind space for it. I made a joke on that upside down video I made that I don't <laughs> even know how it happened, that I just smoked some interdimensional six-dimensional cannabis and emerged from a fog and, and it was already published and I didn't realize anything had happened, but uh, that, that's not far from the truth. Look, I pretended that it was real and I really leaned into the horror and I, I, I thought it would be funny to look at it all and describe it basically literally, but also present it in a, a, a way where it's like, oh, well, this is just a normal, crazy story. You know, it, it was challenging. Right. And, you know, the reviews uh, have been really, really positive in general. You've got people who love the movie saying it was a perfect novelization. And then you've got people who loved the movie saying the movie's great. What you've done is tedious. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the movie's 82 minutes, you know, you can't really compare and like you said, it is almost like the whole effort was just a, a, a creative uh, experimental exercise. Because how do you novelize something like Forbidden Zone? I well, did you, you, you did it. You somehow, did somehow it. did it. <laughs> how, um, so uh, when, when did you first see Forbidden Zone? What, we need, a, we need the, the impetus of... Uh, of your of your love for for Richard Elfman's work and and Forbidden Zone especially, do you remember the exact time that you first saw it? I mean, it, it was it was on some sort of bootlegged VHS tape at college. 
you know, on in, in some <laughs> yep. some guy's course, dorm yeah. room, smoking a bong, and and for a while, I wasn't even sure I had really seen it. I was a huge Oingo Boingo fan. <laughs> I was a huge Oingo Boingo fan. So right. you know, someone was like, "Oh, have you ever seen? You're an Oingo Boingo fan. Have you ever seen the movie?" Pulls out this bootleg. And like I said, you know, uh, 10 years later, looking back on it, I'm like, is that even real? In, in 2004, it finally got re-released on DVD. And like mm-hmm. you said, Richard's cachet kind of went through the roof. He puts up a website and he gets hits from people all over the world saying, I love Forbidden Zone. And I'm so glad that it's now out there. He thought the film was lost. He thought, you know, right. he he had lost control of it creatively physically financially he thought it had come and gone and it was just lost but it came back the whole thing had a second life that's amazing so yeah. when, when did you when did you with richard uh, cross paths because you've you know you'd posted on your uh, social media um you know you've you've toying with the idea of, of doing some sort of biography but you've been collecting you know just conversations sure have uh, things like that when when did you and richard cross paths uh, that's just a random paths. thing. So I see you like, Oh, I'm at Richard's house. I'm like, what? Right. <laughs> we, we crossed paths. I think it was 2018. Um, you know, uh, dread central three or four dread central writers were all in Los Angeles at the same time. I think we we're covering, um, what is it? The EA E3. We're covering the E3 okay. and, uh, Richard, uh, had a relationship with dread central's editor in chief at the time, Jonathan Barkon. Um, Richard had published a editorial on Dread Central, you know, kind of now that uh, Forbidden Zone was back in the uh, public consciousness, you know, there were some things about it that he felt um, should be addressed, you know, uh, about a film that was created in a different age that was paying tribute to artists from much different eras. So, yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, Richard knew that a bunch of Dread Central authors were going to be in town. Okay, this is how cool he is. So Richard's like, okay, a bunch of Dread Central authors are in town. I'm going to invite them all to dinner at my house. Now, Richard is a gourmet chef. So he's going to invite us over to dinner at his house. His beautiful wife, Anastasia, is going to serve us drinks. He's going to cook us a great meal because he's a wonderful guy. Oh, by the way, he's also going to invite about a dozen famous horror movie directors to all sit around and have like a wonderful evening of horror with Don Mancini, Darren Lynn Bozen, Brian Yesna, Jackson Stewart. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone, but it was just an unbelievable party because Richard Elfman knows how to throw a goddamn party. <laughs> he so does. We just and, stayed and friends. When- we stayed friends. Yeah. And uh, throughout the years, I've been lucky enough to be invited back on multiple occasions, as you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. We've uh, he's great. When we when he first he wanted to pitch us uh, his his new book that's coming out this month, the twenty first of November, uh, the Shlemizel of Sabrium. Uh, it's 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 by the way, it's so great. I mean. It's it's a vampire novel like you've never experienced. It's <laughs> he plays with so many tropes and and he brings in this uh you know Jewish perspective as well mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. It, and the, and at the time. So but yeah, when we were talking about he's pitching ideas. He's, yeah, you and Mark uh, come on over and, and Josh, you came over that night too, right? Yeah, and yeah, uh, we had a great you know, meeting of the, the minds. Best, it was wonderful. 
Oh my God, the best wild boar I've ever had. He's cooking it over the, literally right over the coals. He's a gracious, such a gracious host. A wonderful man. And, you know, it, 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 I had to step up my barbecue game. I was like, I got home and I was like, man, I really need to learn Good how to do this stuff because luck. Richard's Good. kicking my ass. No, there's no luck. way. There's no way. It, he, he's got the detail, these like, little the electrodes. He's got these little <laughs> electrodes that he like puts in the meat. And like it's attached to an app on his phone to tell him the temperature at the core of the meat because he gets it yeah. to within like three degrees of like being safe for human consumption before it gets too cooked and you lose right. some wonderful flavor. He takes it to a whole scientific level, but it's also like I used the word before primitive. He's going to take this thing and he's going to throw right. it on the fire. He's going to throw it in the fireplace yeah. right on top of a hunk of wood. And it's going to be the best thing you ever tasted. Oh my God. So I'm going to, you know, the, when so Richard's going to be on in a couple of weeks, I'm going to try to get him on the week that Schlemeisel is out. And it may turn into just the barbecue cast because, you know, there's just, it, it's such when you, when he talks about it, cause I, that's all I wanted to talk to him about. <laughs> it's just like, where did you learn this? Where did you study this? And he and he he'll tell you. It's 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 right. It's a the man is a man of many talents. Many. Um, and you, you said know. before, yeah. uh, you know, I I am uh, collecting Richard's stories. Uh, about uh, eighteen months ago, he granted me permission to kind of be his biographer, and we sat down for uh, you know uh, basically weekly meetings. Um, you know, in in. I think it was early 2021 and um, you know, over 10 hours of recorded footage uh, that I now have, have transcribed and I'm going through. Plus I've done interviews with a lot of people associated with him. It's going to make a wonderful story. And you're going to see that Richard Elfman is something amazing. He was amazing before forbidden zone before mystic nights of the Oingo Boingo. His, the story of his upbringing is fantastic. He he's, done crazy stuff since forbidden zone that people don't know about. He was a food and wine critic. He was a journalist for 10 years at, at the most mundane. He was involved in real estate, but let me tell you when you're Richard Elfman, nothing you do is mundane. So I'm going to tell you some stories right. <laughs> about some experiences in real estate in flipping properties that are going to blow people's minds. But I'm blessed. He's, you know, it, it's an authorized biography, meaning he is my source and I'm putting together something. And, you know, he, he's going, uh, he's got great things going on right now. People are like, when's it going to be released? You know, right now, Richard is still living some of the chapters that need yeah. to be included in this biography. <laughs> when it comes out, it's going to be unlike anything. And it's going to show the life of a truly extraordinary art, yeah, rebel. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to him uh, about his book and everything. But, um, but that, that's great. I mean, I thought it is because you were kind of the the key that connected us, you know, with Richard. And it was a, uh, it's just been a blast. You know, it's like it's just fun how all this is connected. You know, sure. with what we do. It and was an absolute how pleasure. I, you know, yeah. When when yeah, I was meeting with, with me Richard out. weekly. You know, uh, I mentioned to him, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to talk to these guys at Encyclopocalypse. And then, you know, I kind of vetted you on his behalf. You know, he had a novella and yeah. it was great. It was great because he's legit and you guys are legit. You know, I wouldn't have just haphazardly, you know, connected y'all. But, um, you know, he is uh, just a wonderful person. 
you know, he, everything he, he creates is, it has his unique flavor. You know, if you've seen his other films, Shrunken Heads, Modern Vampires, and especially Alien Clowns and Geeks, you know how nuts <laughs> he is. And his film, Bloody Bridget, is tearing up the film festival circuit, winning awards yeah. left and right. Look for that to come out sometime, I'm, I'm sure, in 2024. And I think that's going to be another huge chapter in the ongoing saga that is Richard Elfman. We're, uh, we're doing a signing with you and Richard on uh, it's, it's the week it's Thanksgiving weekend, November so 25th. Like, you know, yes. And he's, <laughs> he keeps trying to tell Dell uh, Dell from dark delicacies. Just, there's a, there's gonna be a 10 minute musical performance. Just make sure you put it on there. And I know that, I, and I know that, um, well, it's, it's not, it's not Dell on the emails. It's, it's his wife. Uh, right. His name escapes me at the moment, but uh, and I shouldn't. But it, it, it's for some reason just Sue. not popping in my head. Sue, yeah. So he, well, you, you should <laughs> I know. I know that's Richard. Richard did a signing there when um, Alien Clowns and Geeks was released, along with a re-release of Forbidden Zone, that being the director's cut of Forbidden Zone. And he did do a t- little ten-minute number ahead of time, and it included burlesque and blood yeah. and Stu and Dell were very accommodating. So uh, I can only imagine it's going to be right. awesome. Someone might even get their heart ripped out. No, I, I probably, probably. <laughs> well, that's going to be a fun time. Um, <laughs> that's going to be a fun time hanging out and, uh, and, and watching you guys sign books. This could be cool. Yeah. But I love, I, I love that, you know, uh, forbidden zone and then moving on into Richard Elfman's debut book. It's just, you know, I love that these you know, can connect and we can bring, continue to bring, you know, Richard Elfman stories out to everybody in, in, in you know, in, uh, in this format, in, in book form. It's just, it's absolutely fantastic. Well, we are, uh, we're running out of time. We're going to start wrapping up. Uh, sure. But I want to, we have, do we do have things to talk about. We've, we've mentioned it before. Um, you're, you know, you, there's things you're working on that you can't yes. necessarily talk about yet. We've briefly mentioned, uh, you know, Billy Ponds. Yeah. Uh, we can Circus talk about that. We have I mentioned it. We're not, you know, I'm, let's, I can't, it's hard for me to keep secrets, let's but let's let talk about know. that because yeah. that's on deck for you to write. That is on deck. You know, uh, my next novelization um, is another cult film, not as old as uh, uh, forbidden zone. This is a 21st century cult film. Circus of the dead made a huge impact in the Texas horror community that birthed it. Uh, Billy Pond is a horror, extreme horror director on the level of Rob Zombie, uh, Eli Roth, um, uh, Toby Hooper. He is just a nuts gonzo grindhouse director. And, and Circus of the Dead has, has the same kind of cult following that the new Terrifier movies have. Circus of the Dead came out first, and it's always remained a little underground. Yeah. But if you like... Mm-hmm. MFers like Art the Clown, just clowns who don't give an F and who are going to do things that are beyond anything you ever imagined. You're going to want to meet Art the Clown in all of his glory in the novelization of Billy Pond's Circus of the Dead. <laughs> That's gonna be a fun one, and and Billy's been so great. I'm I'm so I'm so glad that we're able to kind of help you know bring bring that out and. You know, uh, he, he's, you know, what I, the biggest thing 
one of the biggest things I love about doing this is when you get a comment from a filmmaker, you know, like like Billy, um, even Vincenzo Natale, they have these stories and, you know, that these are their stories, you know, like these are their, their babies. And we're able to kind of bring them a new audience through literature, through fiction, you know, through in, in book form. And but also like as a publisher, we're very respectful of like we this is their story and what's the best way we can tell it and just giving them the space to create, to be involved. Um, I'm, we're working with Jared Bookwalter now on a couple of novelizations of his films. And, you know, he, I, I, you know, some filmmakers are more, you know, they'll, they'll kind of wait out to the side and just let it be done. But I love giving directors and screenwriters and even, and, and authors the, their chance to tell a story, to be involved because, you know, it just at the end of the day it just makes for it's just more satisfying when it's out there that we have done you know the best we could to preserve the story and you know there's some surprises in Jared Bookwalter's novelizations um, the uh, the author um, modernized Robot Ninja so nice. there's a whole spin on you know you you have some commentary on you know social media and com- the comic book industry. And, you know, um, I'm still waiting for Jared's notes back because I'm hoping he liked that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the fact that we're able to give, you know, creators this space, you know, I, I, and like with Circus of the Dead, Billy's been so grateful that it, it just makes, you know, it warms our black little hearts that we're, uh, you know, we're it's doing. It's going to be a fun. wonderful project. Uh, Billy's going to supply me with the screenplay. But also uh, it, it, the screenplay actually included a lot of internal dialogue that didn't make it yeah. into the film. So it, it, it's, it really will be a new experience. Uh, it, it will be a level of the film that Billy built in that just uh, remained invisible and unknown. And we're going to be able to, to use that to further uh, intensify the story that already exists. And I, I think this book will be wonderful for people who have seen the film. And I think even people who haven't seen the film are going to read this and go, this story is just nuts. I mean, it's going to read like something just as effed up as something you'd read from, you know, any of the current extreme authors out there. I don't want to name names. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much for hanging out and talking to us about all all your books. I think we covered them all. Got them all in. Um, There'll be links in the, the, in the notes under here. You can follow us, of course, on social media. Uh, the easiest way to find us, everybody, buyhorrorbooks.com. All the social media is there. Our store is there, too. And you can find us. You'll be able to find the podcast version of this, the YouTube version of this, all that. Uh, Josh, where can people find you on online? Where are you hanging out these days? Yeah, I guess the easiest way would be Twitter, at uh, Josh underscore Milliken, M-I-L-L-I-C-A-N. Talk to you there. (laughs) Awesome. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Mark, Alan Miller, and I are going to be hanging out, talking about kind of giving a history of Encyclopocalypse. And then uh, if things work out, we'll be the following week. Richard Elfman will be joining us to talk about his novels. So I'm extremely excited to talk to him. We're just going to talk about barbecue. That's that's all it's going to happen. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) 